This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Xi Jinping, China's president, secured a third term in power and unveiled the reshuffled leadership of China's Communist Party. The new seven-member Politburo Standing Committee is comprised of loyalists to Mr Xi, including Li Chiang, the top party official in Shanghai who was appointed second in command. On Saturday, the closing ceremony of the CCP's Congress was marked by the unexplained removal of Hu Jintao, a former president, from the stage. Heavy Russian missile strikes on Ukraine's energy facilities left over a million people in the south and west of the country struggling with power cuts. The Ukrainian army said Russia launched at least 33 cruise missiles, of which 18 were downed. The barrage is part of a campaign to cripple Ukraine's infrastructure and demoralize the population as winter approaches. Boris Johnson, Britain's ex-Prime Minister, and Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor, reportedly held talks ahead of Monday's deadline for nominations in the contest to replace Liz Truss as Prime Minister. According to Bloomberg, the pair discussed running on a joint ticket to prevent a divisive runoff vote. Neither have formally announced that they are in the race, and the only declared candidate at this stage is Penny Mordaunt. Slovenians are choosing a new president in an election seen as a test for the country's liberal government, which won power from populists in April. Like its EU neighbours, Slovenia is suffering from an energy crisis fuelled by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Anja Logar, a member of the former government, is leading in polls, but the contest is expected to go to a runoff next month. More than 5 million Americans in 39 states have already cast their ballots ahead of the midterms in November. Early voting turnout is high in key races, including Georgia and Ohio. At the current rate, turnout could meet or exceed the number of votes cast in the last midterm elections in 2018, which saw the highest turnout since 1978. At an annual meeting, the leaders of Australia and Japan, Anthony Albanese and Kishida Fumio, signed a pact to further strengthen security ties. They agreed to hold joint training exercises and increase intelligence cooperation. The country's strategic ties, underpinned by a long and fruitful commercial relationship, are becoming closer thanks to a shared wariness of China and a concern about American reliability. Hurricane Rosalind strengthened to a major Category 4 storm as it headed towards the Pacific coast of Mexico. America's Hurricane Center said it could bring hazardous winds, flash flooding and a damaging storm surge. Hundreds of people have been evacuated to emergency shelters. It is expected to make landfall on Sunday. And word of the week. Cicerone, an expert in beer. Their number has grown in America with the proliferation of craft beers. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What's next on the battlefield in Ukraine? In the next six weeks, Ukraine has a window of opportunity to recapture the strategic southern city of Kherson before winter, according to American officials. 
Rumors that they are about to do so have been circulating for at least a month, and Russia has evacuated many non-military personnel. Yet the front lines appear to have barely moved since a quick Ukrainian advance a fortnight ago. A long-running Russian offensive near Bakhmut in the eastern Donbas region is making no progress either. But Russia has had more success in degrading Ukraine's electrical grid. Attacks by cruise missiles and cheap Iranian-made drones have knocked out 30% of the country's generating capacity. Air raid sirens and partial blackouts have become a daily event in Kyiv, the capital. The West is supplying Ukraine with more and better air defense systems, but Iran is not just selling drones to Russia. American intelligence claims it has sent pilots to Crimea to fly them. An Intriguing Debate in the Golden State California has always attracted dreamers, from aspiring actors to minors during the gold rush. Brian Daly, the Republican candidate for governor, is also battling the odds. On Sunday, Mr. Daly, a state senator from Northern California, will debate Gavin Newsom, the incumbent Democratic governor. Mr. Daly trails Mr. Newsom by 23% in the polls, yet the uncompetitive race is still worth watching. The first reason is the resilience and rise of Mr. Newsom. Last year, he beat a, quote, recall campaign that threatened to remove him from office, and now he is rumored to be considering a presidential bid after his second and final term as governor. He is already channeling campaign funds into attacking Republican governors in other states over social issues. Wider recognition will help his presidential chances. The second is that it underscores just how democratic California has become. A Republican was last elected as governor in 2006, and registered Democrats outnumber Republicans by about two to one. New Analysis of the Story of COVID The origins of COVID-19 are hotly contested. Many think it was a spillover from wild animals. Others have pointed to the coronavirus engineering going on in laboratories around the world, but particularly in Wuhan, the Chinese city where the virus was first identified. Into this fray comes analysis from Alex Washburn, a mathematical biologist who runs Selva, a small startup in microbiome science, Antonius Bendongen of Duke University, and Valentin Brutel of University of Würzburg. Their claim published on October 20th on BioArchive, a preprint server, suggests SARS-CoV-2 has some genomic features that they say would appear if the virus had been stitched together by genetic engineering. By examining how many of these putative stitching sites SARS-CoV-2 has, and how relatively short these pieces are, they attempt to assess how much the virus resembles others found in nature. The paper has not yet been peer-reviewed. Early reactions, though, have been deeply divided. Any widely supported conclusion that the virus was engineered would have profound ramifications, both political and scientific. Is Formula One's spending cap fit for purpose? Formula One returns to Texas for the American Grand Prix, but with the Drivers' Championship already won, for a second successive year by Max Verstappen, a Dutch driver for the Red Bull team, fans have turned their attention to a row over the competition's spending cap. 
Last week, the sport's governing body, the FIA, said that Red Bull had exceeded the team limit of $145 million for 2021, the first year it was enforced. The cap is meant to make F1 more competitive by leveling the playing field. Red Bull dismissed the accusations as, quote, fictitious, and said it had done nothing wrong. Meanwhile, other voices, including Lewis Hamilton, a British driver for Mercedes, and Zach Brown, a team boss for McLaren, are calling for the team to be punished. If there has been a breach and the FIA fails to take action, the effort to control spending will have stalled on the grid. Weekend Profile John Fetterman, Pennsylvania's Democratic Senate nominee John Fetterman looks like no other senator. Bald, goateed, tattooed, and well over two meters tall, he almost always wears his signature hoodie and shorts in public. He is running for an open Senate seat in Pennsylvania against Mehmet Oz, a Republican television personality and former surgeon. The race may determine control of the Senate in America's midterms on November 8th. So beyond his striking appearance, who is he? Born in 1969, Mr. Fetterman grew up in a conservative home in southern Pennsylvania. He played American football at university and expected to take over his father's insurance business. But as he tells it, his friend's sudden death in a car crash propelled him towards public service. He graduated from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, then taught high school dropouts in Braddock, a rough suburb of Pittsburgh. In 2005, he ran for mayor of Braddock and won by a single vote. He served three full terms, then campaigned for the Senate in 2016, losing in the primary. He then ran successfully for lieutenant governor in 2018. His duties include presiding over the state Senate, which he does for dress code reasons, in the one suit he owns, and Pennsylvania's Pardons Board, which reviews felons' request for pardons and commutations. Long an advocate for criminal justice reform, under his leadership, the board has pardoned far more people than past boards. Republicans have attacked him for being weak on crime, and, more broadly, for being far more left-wing than his blue-collar demeanor suggests. And indeed, Mr. Fetterman endorsed Bernie Sanders for president in 2016, supports legalizing cannabis, and, aside from his support for fracking, is generally a liberal Democrat, even if he comes off as just another guy at the bar. A bigger concern is his health. Mr. Fetterman had a stroke in May. Since then, he has given few interviews, agreed to just a single debate, to be held on Tuesday, and appeared halting in public. He has tried to make a virtue of his struggles, asking audiences at his rallies how many of them know someone with health problems. He may eventually fully recover, but if his condition is worse than he lets on, he will look slippery and evasive, the opposite of the straight-shooting persona he has created. The Winners of This Week's Quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Anand Mahajan, Mumbai, India. North America, Mike Hesselschwart, Cincinnati, America. Central and South America, Ivan Campos, Ancud, Chile. Europe, 
Javier Santa Maria, Madrid, Spain. Africa, Rob Blair, Harare, Zimbabwe. Oceania, Grant Rees, Queenstown, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of American Express, Library of Congress, Paddington Bear, Mirror Group, and Nile. The theme is Agatha Christie novels, Murder on the Orient Express, The Body in the Library, 450 from Paddington, The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side, and Death on the Nile. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Carrie Fisher. Things are getting worse faster than I can lower my standards. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.